1907. It took another seven years before the building was even dedicated, but even then at the dedication, it was only the dedication of the superstructure. It took another 12 years after that to finally complete the church. 19 years. You can imagine after 19 years of construction, even in the early 1900s, it was a rather large and impressive structure, but it's not known for its size or its ornamentation on the exterior but rather the work that was started in 1912. Two years before it was dedicated, work that progressed nonstop for the next 76 years. When I took my children there, the excitement on their face was not evident at all. In fact, as they followed their father to another large church that he wanted to look at, I'm pretty sure they were hoping that it would be a rather short stay so that we could get on with our vacation. But that changed once we entered the front doors and walked into the entryway. There were a few raised eyebrows, a few mouths that opened up a little bit, but even more when we walked into the sanctuary. You see, the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis isn't known for its exterior beauty, although it is a rather large and impressive structure. No, the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis is known for what was done over 76 years on the inside. It took artisans, in fact, two of which were a father-son duo who worked their entire life to place over four and a half million pieces of glass in over 7,000 different colors across the top of the high walls and across the ceiling. The mosaics inside the Basilica, Basilica Cathedral of St. Louis are unrivaled. They're beautiful, awe-inspiring. It's the largest mosaic outside of Russia in the world. It covers over 83,000 square feet. That's just under two acres. A football field and a half of surface area covered in small, tiny pieces of glass, each painstakingly placed by hand. You can understand why it took 76 years. <laughs> but it's one in which when you, you walk into the sanctuary and you look around, it's one that, that inspires awe. It's one that you walk around and you can't help but open your mouth and go, holy cow. My guess is, you've had one or two or, or maybe more of those experiences in your own life. Maybe it was when you got to see a, a particular piece of artwork that was done by your favorite artist, right? And you got to see it not in a picture, not online, but, but actually in person. And you got to look up close at it and you could see the individual brush strokes or, or maybe the chisel marks on the statue. And you were able to, to marvel at, at, at the, the talent that the artist had and it filled you with, with wonderment and awe. Perhaps it, it even took your breath away. Or maybe it was on your wedding day that your heart was filled with awe and amazement, right? As, as you looked at your spouse and enjoyed the festivities of that day, it was a, a day filled with awe and excitement and amazement that God would give you someone like this that you'd be able to spend a lifetime with. Or maybe the the birth of your first child, or not just your first child, any of your children, really. 
right? When suddenly in your arms was a, a tiny human being, right? And you looked at, at the eyes, the nose, the ears, the toes, right? You looked at hair and all the wrinkles, and you etched those things into your memory because at that moment, your heart was so full of awe and amazement, you, you really didn't know what to say. We've had those moments in life, haven't we? And you'd also recognize that after a while, those things that fill us with awe and amazement, especially as we become more familiar with them, tend to lose that awe and excitement. My guess is there have been days in which you maybe looked at your spouse or your children, and it wasn't filled with the same awe and excitement that it was the first time you saw them. Now, they're granted, there are probably those moments, but the familiarity of that has rubbed off a little bit of the shine, right? My guess is if you were a Catholic who regularly went to the Cathedral Basilica in St. Louis, after a while you might not even raise your eyes and lift your head to see the masterpiece that is just above your head. Because the familiarity with it, it would tell you, I've, I've seen it before. And it doesn't quite fill your heart with the same awe and excitement it once did. I'm sure you know that feeling as well. My guess is, if we're not careful, it's easily something that can happen to us at Christmas. Right? With the busyness of the season, with everything that's going on, with the stress of, of not only deadlines, but parties and family gatherings and presents and wrapping said presents, together with then all the get-togethers, after a while, it all just piles up, and it's real easy to miss or to forget the awe and excitement that should be in the heart of a child of God on Christmas. So this evening, we're going to wonder and look at how in the world do we rekindle a bit of that awe and excitement at what our God has done for us. And to do so, we're going to look at a really familiar passage. A passage that I'm guessing you have known for, well, many of you have probably known for your entire life. You've seen it on signs at games, right? There, it is one that is so familiar to you, my guess is that perhaps it's lost a little bit of the awe and amazement that it once filled your heart with. Kind of like Christmas. But I want you to imagine, if you can, for a moment, hearing these words for the very first time. Like Nicodemus did when he came to Jesus one night, and Jesus said to him, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that in and of itself should cause you to stop and wonder for a moment. Really? This world that, that we live in? From the moment of Adam and Eve's fall into sin, this world has been nothing but a, a, a stinking cesspool of sin. Right? It doesn't take long to look on the internet or to read the newspaper or, or to just hear about corruption and the rottenness and evil that exists, right? 
It doesn't take a whole lot of searching to see greed and, and envy and the guilt of such sin. And that God would love this world. But before we go too far, we'd have to remember that you and I are part of this world. That you and I have an enormous weight of sin and shame that goes along with us each and every day. That you and I, in our petty quarrels and arguments, that you and I have a whole lot of guilt we carry with us, greed, envy. Right? We, we look and we'd say we're no different than the world. We have the same petty sins that we carry along with us, the same pet sins that we'd like to get rid of, that we, but for some reason we clutch to and just can't seem to let go of. And God would love that? Talk is cheap, isn't it? Because that's what it is. God tells us and just simply says, I love you. And we live in a world in which talk is cheap. I, I was listening to a podcast recently where at the end of each episode, one of the hosts would say, we love you to their audience. It's a nice thought. I, I suppose I could say it's nice to hear. But at the same time, my guess is if I showed up at his front door and said, hey, can you help me out? I, I'm here in town. I need a place to stay. I'm not sure how far that love for me would go, even if I told him I was an avid listener of his podcast. Because love is cheap. Talk is cheap, isn't it? So that when we hear those words, God so loved the world, God loves you, well, there's a part of us that might say, talk is cheap. So, God so loved the world, that he gave. He gave his one and only son. My guess is if you and I had ten sons, we wouldn't give one of them up for our neighbor, for our dearest friend, and certainly not for a, a scoundrel like you and me. But God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son. And when he gave his one and only son, it, he didn't send his son to this world as a, as a moral crusader, right, set to, to wipe out sin and, and evil with violence and the sword, and once and for all cleanse this world of, of everything that was wrong with it. He, he didn't send him, well, as judge, jury, and, and executioner, ready to punish the world for every last sin. No, when, when God gave his son, he came in a, in a barn in Bethlehem. And the ones who came to worship the son of God as he took on human flesh were a bunch of lowly shepherds who probably didn't fully understand all that was going on that first Christmas night. No, God sent his son as a savior. A savior who would come to free his people from their sin. And so that babe, born in a barn in Bethlehem, would trudge from that barn to a cross at Calvary the entire time thinking of the world. Thinking of you. 
and me. And there, as he hung on the cross, he was abandoned. Abandoned, and and as he abandoned, and he he faced the torments that every damned should that every damned person deserves. And as he did it, he cried out for the world. He cried out in your place and in my place, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God so loved the world, he so loved you, that he gave and he gave and he gave his son. You hear those words and you you have to admit there's got to be a catch somewhere, right? I mean, it's too good to be true that there isn't anything I do, that that God just simply loves me and he simply gives his son to to live and to die in my place. There's got to be a catch somewhere, right? And so when we hear those next words that John speaks to, or Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, well, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But there is no catch. Believing isn't a catch. In fact, believing isn't doing at all. Believing is simply receiving. Believing is simply that trust that we have in words spoken by the one who said it. Believing is simply God saying to us, this is what I've done for you. I've given you my son. I've shown you my love and given you my son, and he's done everything. The work he did on the cross and when he proclaimed it is finished, it was work that was done completely, it was done perfectly, it was done from beginning to end by him with no need or help from us required. In fact, he did it so completely because he knew, he knew how just, how, how the, he knew the depth of our corruption. He knew the totality of our depravity that he didn't even leave in our hands. The fact that we had to believe. So he comes in his word and he comes in the simple waters of baptism and he creates in our hearts a trust. A a trust that when he says, this is what I have done for you, it's done. Sin is forgiven. And what's waiting for us is eternal life. You hear those words and you can't help but begin to have a heart that's full of awe and amazement that God would love me, that God would do this for someone like me. Which means on days like this and holidays like this, when you get to gather together with friends and relatives, Right, when you're able to look at the blessings God has given to you and, and marvel at them and rejoice in them, it gives us an opportunity then to hear these words from our Savior and remember how great God is. It also means that on days when temptations come and pet sins snag us, then on our minds we turn to our God and hear again from him of his love for the world and therefore his love for you. And when tribulations and hardships and difficulties come in life, like waves that 
don't ever seem to end. When the plague of sickness strikes and it seems as though we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and the end is near, with a smile on our face, we are reminded of the words of our Savior, right? That even as we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I have a God who loves me and who is opening the doors of heaven to give me eternal life. You can look right there. Right? And in, 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 in God's word, what do we see? A, a few simple words, a single sentence, words that we've heard almost our entire life. But words that fill us with awe and amazement because there God speaks of his love for you and me. And we see it there in the manger, don't we? As we look with our eyes of faith into that barn in Bethlehem, we see God himself take on human flesh because he loves you. And he wanted to express that love in such a way that there would be no doubt in your heart and mind of his love for you. Because he came to forgive you and to give you eternal life. Man, you begin to look at everything else that happens this season, and compared to that, they're nothing, is it? Because it's that good news that fills our heart with awe and amazement. That good news that God so loved the world, that he so loved you, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. And the peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, will guard and will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Our Savior Lutheran Church is located on the south side of Birmingham off Highway 280. We are on Dunnett Valley Road, about three quarters of a mile east of Treetop Family Adventure and Sports Blast. Our Sunday services begin at 1015 with Sunday school and Bible class at 9 o'clock. We welcome visitors and hope to see you soon. For more information, please visit our website at OurSaviorBirmingham.com. Click on Sermons at the top of the page for a copy of today's service folder. You can also find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.